Blair Myhan is a police chief in Apex, North Carolina. It's a suburb of Raleigh-Durham, 42,000 people, upper middle class. Myhan says that policing Apex is like policing Mayberry, the town from The Andy Griffith Show. Nine o'clock at night, people are in their houses with their families and they're going to bed. And, you know, sometimes we, we roll the sidewalks up at midnight. You know, I mean, it's a very low crime community. You know, we, I think we've had two homicides ever in this town. One summer night, Apex 911 got an unusually disturbing call. And a warning here, this episode contains graphic language and descriptions of violence. You know, a, a person had claimed to have killed several people and was holding a woman hostage in the house. The caller gave the dispatcher his name and his address. It was one of those ones that make you, you know, as a police officer, think, you know, this is serious. You know, we went into action very quickly that night. Going into action meant deploying the SWAT team. Yes, the town of Apex has a SWAT team. Part-time, but nonetheless. About a dozen cops. Semi-automatic weapons, helmets, riot shields. My hand was among them. They drove to the house. At the end of a cul-de-sac, we have the house completely surrounded by police officers. Um, we've got, you know, our, our weapons aimed at the house. The SWAT team was hiding in the backyard. Two cops behind a giant oak tree that gave them a view of the house. They were pretty sure the suspect was hiding upstairs with the hostages. It was tense. You're, you're going with the anticipation that you're going to see a, a mass murder, and you, you may end up having to, uh, you know, kill somebody tonight. At 2 a.m., lights start to come on in the house. The suspect notices the SWAT team in his yard, grabs a shotgun, and moves down the stairs to the first floor landing. Somebody from the SWAT team screams, tells the suspect to disarm. And that's where what they thought was a hostage situation turns into something much stranger. The suspect puts down his gun and meets the SWAT team at the door, very confused. His wife, who's alive and also confused, is there with him. His children are alive and asleep in their beds. The homeowner had no idea what the cops were talking about, even though the 911 call had given the man's name, his address, and correctly identified the members of his family. So I don't think we really, till afterwards, we realize, you know, we've been swatted. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, State Farm knows you personalize your entire day. And that's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. From Gimlet, I'm PJ Vogt, and this is Reply All, a show about the internet. This week, we're talking about swatting. In case you aren't familiar with swatting, it's a prank that's played by duping a local community SWAT team into raiding the house of somebody else. All sorts of people get swatted. It's happened to Tom Cruise, Miley Cyrus, the Kardashians. But a very popular swatting target 
is video game players, a specific brand of gamer, live streamers. So if you're anything like our boss, Alex Bloomberg, you might need some more explanation here. First of all, lots of people broadcast themselves playing video games online, often but not always live, and some of those people get very famous. There's a whole network dedicated to watching live streams of games called Twitch TV. Amazon bought it last year for nearly a billion dollars. The biggest star of the broadcast yourself playing video game scene is a guy named PewDiePie. <laughs> How's it going, bros? My name's We're going to play them GTA. We're off to a good PewDiePie has 35 million YouTube subscribers and DMs with Taylor Swift. Is that an iPhone solid? iSolid? I get it. Here's what you usually see in these videos. The main screen is the actual video game that the streamer is playing. And then in a smaller picture-in-picture, picture, you see their face as they comment on the action. Yeehaw! Oops. Whoa! What the hell happened? <laughs> People swat live streamers because they want the satisfaction of seeing, in that little picture-in-picture, picture, the SWAT team burst through the door in real life and throw the gamer to the ground. There are actually compilations of famous SWAT videos on YouTube. One of them starts with a woman named Jess. In the video, she's playing Call of Duty Black Ops 2. Oh, I'm doing awful right now. Look at this. She takes the headset off, gets up and leaves the frame. Meanwhile, because the game's online, it continues without her. You're hearing all this, but all you're seeing on the screen is the tiny box where her face used to be. There's just a blank wall in an empty room. Then a police flashlight cuts through the frame. It's us. One of the cops actually recognizes the video game she's playing. She's playing Black Ops 2. She said they're streaming. As the cops finally start to appear in the frame, one explains to the other what's actually happening. And they're watching us. There's no real hostage situation. And what's more, somewhere on the internet. They're freaking, everybody's watching us. They're talking about it. And they're all probably laughing. That's what she was telling Jack. She said, it's a joke. They're streaming y'all and watching y'all. Where the fuck did it come from? The swatting videos are filled with scenes like these. And they almost always have this one moment that comes after the cops cuff the kid. It's a long, stretched out moment of confused silence. It happens when the cops finally turn and see themselves broadcast in a tiny box alongside a kid's video game in a computer monitor. If you're a cop, it's easy to see why this can make you mad. Some kid somewhere on the internet just used you as a pawn. It makes me angry when, when most of the folks that do this are, are teenagers, you know, that they, they are so naive, they don't understand the ramifications of this type of situation and the consequences that can happen from making a prank phone call. You know, when I, when I was 13 years old, our prank phone calls had to do with this refrigerator running. You know, that's what we did. Um, we didn't get law enforcement re- to respond to someone's house expecting to, to deal with a mass murder, you know, so um, it's a different day and age, but it, it's um you know, it's a very, very dangerous situation. It's a very dangerous situation that can also freak out the people who get swatted. One swatting victim, an Air Force vet, had the SWAT team show up where he lived with his younger brother. Afterwards, he posted a reaction video. I had please point a gun at my little brother's. He's 10. 
He is 10 years old. And he had 10 police officers pointing a gun at him because he was at the door. And that, of course, is the reaction you'd expect. But one of the most striking things to me about these videos is how rare that reaction is. In many of these videos, the cops are riled up, expecting a madman or a terrorist or something. But the kids just stand there. They don't seem scared at all. They're the only ones who really understand the world that these cops have stumbled into. Coming up, we go deeper into that world with somebody who understands it. A kid who's been swatted talks about what it's like, how to stop it, and what these guys are after. And now, back to the show. What's up, guys? It's Dirty here, coming at you with Road to a Trick Shot number. I really don't know the number, but... This is Curtis Hankey. He's a 21-year-old Call of Duty player. He plays online with a group of other gamers all over the world on a team called FaZe. And FaZe... FaZe has a lot of fans. As of right now, like, my team that I'm in is a YouTube team. They have over 3 million subscribers. What? <laughs> yeah. They started out about five years ago and just... They're the largest subscribed gaming team as of on YouTube. And, um... <laughs> You're, I'm, I'm talking to you for this internet podcast as a... As a media organization, your your Call of Duty gaming team is like <laughs> exponentially larger than the audience of this podcast. FaZe has two teams. One is a competitive team that plays against other teams in tournaments. The other team, which Curtis plays for, is responsible for producing entertaining trick shot videos. Imagine the NBA Slam Dunk Contest, but instead it's people playing Call of Duty. FaZe runs a surprisingly sophisticated media operation. We have an editing team. There's about six of them. A graphics team. There's probably around, I think there's four or five of them as well. And they're all getting paid. When Curtis started, he was working at a North Face store to pay for community college classes. But now, he supports himself entirely by playing video games online. He's good at it. When he snipes someone without zooming in with a scope, he yells his catchphrase. No scope. No scope. And like when I do that, everyone in the chat just uh, types it and they'll like spam it. And just like small things like that, they love. It's crazy how hyped up and excited people get when I just read their message. Uh, it's, it's really a surreal feeling for me. Like I don't feel special at all, but if I'll favor, even favoriting somebody's tweet, They'll be like, oh my gosh, FaZe Dirty favorited my tweet. This is the best day ever. In other words, Curtis is a star. And on the night he got swatted, he was performing for his fans, playing video games with headphones on. His dad, Warren, was the one who noticed the cops out the window. We could see all the police and everything going on. They had assault rifles, and, uh, and he was talking through his megaphone, and the words were not even registering. And all of a sudden... Curtis said, Dad, that's us. I'm like, what are you talking about? 13, 13 that's, our, that's our house. They're talking to us. And I said, no, that's not our address. That's not us. And I, I couldn't even think. And he said, no, Dad, they're, they're telling us to come out of the house. The family went outside where the cops quickly hustled them into a neighbor's garage. One of them said uh, something like, who's Curtis? Who's Curtis Hinky?" And man, it was sheer panic. Um... I, 
I, I didn't know about swatting at the time. I had no idea what that was, what it meant. Um, I was afraid for Curtis. I, I thought they were going to throw him in handcuffs and haul him off right then. Unlike his dad and probably the cops who were handcuffing him, Curtis quickly figured out what had happened. While he'd never been swatted himself before, like everybody else he knew, he'd seen the videos. He knew the drill. When I was down there and we were all waiting and the guy came over and asked, who's Curtis? At that point, I was about 99% sure what was going on. And when he told me what happened, I I felt terrible that all these cops and all these resources had to be used just for one prank phone call. I talked to Curtis for a long time about the world of swatters and of swatting. It's a world where some people have been swatted so many times that they've gone to their local police department and given them their phone number. They put themselves essentially on an informal do not swat list. If your number's on one of these lists, the police will just call you before they send a SWAT team over. And on the other side, the swatters are learning best practices for what kinds of phone calls seem to most effectively get the police to a stranger's house. The calls that seem to work best have an address and the real name of the family who lives there. In this one, the swatter says he's killed his mother, but then he escalates the call further. I see one fucking officer. I swear to fucking God, I'm going to fucking kill him. You're going to kill who? You're going to kill an officer if I send him? I'll blow up the fucking house. I don't care. You're going to blow up the house? You don't care? <laughs> Curtis knows who swatted him. Not their names, but their pseudonyms. They taunt him online. They threaten to do it again. And he thinks he knows why they did it. 95% this is people wanting attention. When the cop went into the room where my computer was, that's the point where they, the person who swatted succeeds, I guess, because they tweet about it. Matt, I don't, it's crazy how much it spreads when somebody gets swatted. It's just merely wanting attention, wanting a bigger follow on Twitter, just wanting to be seen and to be maybe even feared. There's a tempting explanation for how someone could be so unthinking about the consequences of their actions. Video games. They've been desensitized. I don't buy this theory, but just to make sure, I asked Warren about it. Was there anything strange about, I'm sure people ask like some version of this question all the time, but was there anything strange about playing a game that's like a shooter, like a first-person shooter, and then going outside to see actual men with guns? The irony behind it, oh yeah. Warren, you may be able to tell, is politely tired of hearing about this irony. He also wasn't very interested in my questions about whether this is actually a story about SWAT raids. There are 50,000 SWAT raids in America a year, up from 3,000 in the 1980s. For Warren, it's not about that. This is a relatively simple problem with a relatively simple solution. Somehow, the 911 system needs to work with Skype, with Microsoft, to come up with better ways to verify and trace these calls so that they can't be spoofed from another address and then, and then very difficult to track down. He also thinks that the laws need to change. Some states have already passed anti-SWAT legislation, but Warren thinks that for this to stop, swatting calls have to be treated as a felony rather than a misdemeanor. There are certain crimes where changing the laws doesn't work. Despite stiff laws against murder, you may have noticed that murder still exists. But the logic behind strengthening swatting punishments is that the people doing it aren't remorseless criminals. 
They're just dumb kids with access to technology that gives them more power than they ought to have. The idea is that if you make the consequences severe enough, they'll stop. That's what Warren thinks. And Captain Myhand, that cop from Apex, he hopes he's right. You know, I, I hope that it's just them being dumb children and not purposely, because if you do it on purpose for the, you know, the sole intention of, of seeing someone get killed by the police, then of course you're committing, you're, that's a, you know, a crime of the heart. I feel like you were about to say that in that case, it's murder. Well, it, w- it absolutely would be murder, you know, would, you know, if it were attempted murder or murder or, or what have you. I mean, that, that's exactly what it is. And I think every court in this country would see it that way. Yeah, I mean, you want to think that it's just dumb kids. I, I hope it's just dumb kids. Dumb kids who want attention, who want to feel more powerful than they are, are not new. But the Internet gives people reach, sometimes further than they're capable of imagining. That can be a good thing. Curtis is taking public speaking classes now, and he and his dad are minor celebrities. But the pranksters have reached too. They send SWAT teams. Everyone assumes that eventually laws will get passed and that somehow society will patch this bug. In the meantime, the local cops have Curtis's phone number on file. He protects his IP address. He's learning how to be careful. Reply All is me, PJ Vote, and Alex Goldman. We were produced this week by Shruti Pinamanani and Chris Neary. We were edited by Alex Bloomberg and Paul Ford. Special thanks to Molly Buckley, Sylvie Douglas, and Alina Kaczynski, and to the Apex Police Department. We were mixed by the Reverend John Delore. Matt Lieber is a comforter, accidentally warmed by the radiator. Our theme song is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can find more episodes of our show at iTunes.com slash replyall or at replyall.limo. We're taking next week off. We'll see you the Wednesday after. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 